0: Welcome, boys and girls, to the Cartoonist Kayfabe Courtroom. My name is Ed Piscor. <laughs> I'm Jim Rugg. Jim, this is the final uh, episode of uh, the Jim Shooter testimony in a court of law, in, a, in front of a jury of his peers, uh, as a character witness uh, in the Michael Fleischer vs. Fantagraphics lawsuit from, I believe, 1986, where we left off last week. Uh, he was talking about the paradigm shift in content for uh mainstream superhero comics citing things like the dark knight returns and uh how people are skewing towards the realistic the grim and gritty side of uh the equation and marvel's answer to that was uh was the new universe (laughs) we guffaw marvel's answer to that was
1: Chip shooter here's
0: the door (laughs) we guffawed a little bit we laughed we joked we got the fuck out of here then the comments started coming in like, Hey Jim, he's he's under oath, and you guys are reading this, like, you might be snitching on him right now. That might be perjury. <laughs> like like what this guy's right. saying, man. Because he said it with a straight face after uh, you know, I swear, with his hand on the Bible and all that shit. And uh he said some things that he either believes Or he lied or uh I don't know. C. Yeah, this is uh you could play the game stupid or liar. <laughs> and uh, there's
1: no good solution to the new
0: universe. Wow. <laughs> and and then by the way, like also on um, some of my other social media platforms, you know, got got some friends on there, connections on there with people who were part of the bullpen. People who were there during people who worked on new universe books, Jim. And they said Jim Shooter never once even suggested that these books or anything like a dark knight returns grim and gritty realistic interpretation they use the word delusional i'm not gonna see i'm not going to snitch so that they don't get involved in some fleischer fleischer graphics type gimmick but they were
1: like this guy's out of his mind it's it's a fun statement and a lot of these these kind of under oath like like that's what got us down this path (laughs) it was so much fun to hear this side of it because one presumably they're telling the truth or at least the truth they see and two it's prepared for people that aren't in comics and so it's like how do you explain some of this stuff and you know i was looking at at the context of this trial four weeks of this ed four weeks of this. a month it's, it's so hard for me to believe. I feel like we have big trials go on in this country that don't last four weeks. And they're in there, just down in the minutia of comic book fanboy stuff. I cannot imagine juries, judge, anybody involved in this that is not like, what is this, is this a foreign language? I don't understand what you're talking about. In this issue, Comics Journal
0: 115 from April, 1987, there is juror uh, sort of recount, recounting, uh, what do you call it, like uh, in this uh, issue of the Comics Journal 115 from April 1987, there is a section with comments from the jury, so that'll be an interesting thing. We're going to have to read that on our own time because that's not public record right, and right. all that stuff. That, that's, that's content of Comics Journal. But I'm glad to see it. I'm glad that it's there. Too bad the judge doesn't chime in a little bit. Uh,
1: by the way, who pays judges? That's what I'm saying, man. Four weeks of this—that's a lot of bills for like—is that the city? <sighs> nonsense. The city pays the judge. I, we do we have lawyers. Like it's taxpayer money from somewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I do wonder how that works because that—that that does feel like an abuse of uh, of certain things. We have some great uh, talked a lot with the Fantagraphics fellas uh, the past uh, the past week about this stuff. Got a great email from Mike Catron that. Uh, that highlights a lot of the stuff when, um, when like before the jury selection, they were able to get that uh, chasing Harry novel admitted into evidence on the last day. But Michael Fleischer owned all of the remaindered copies, four thousand copies of out of a five thousand print run, and they w- he would not relinquish any copies of the book to uh, distribute to the <laughs> to the jury as as evidence. Smart. So Fantagraphics had to when it was allowed to be admissible they had to uh like basically run to a kinkos spend all night and spend lots of money to uh copy the book bind it and have 12 copies for for all the jury to read overnight maybe some of that <clears throat> four weeks is like the jury needs to read fucking chasing
1: harry Man, can you imagine you're, you're a jury member that sat through four weeks of this and on your last day when it's like you guys now are going to go and, and determine uh, guilt or innocent here, but here's here's a, a, Gotta a read novel, novel for it. you to look into. Gotta go read a novel, man. <laughs> I said Kafka last week and I think like I was going easy on it with that description. <laughs>
0: uh, Mike Catron was very upset that uh some of his own copy well he wasn't very upset i'm, I'm putting words in his <laughs> mouth but uh he did have to sacrifice his own copies of jonah hex and adventure comics but he kept the evidence tags and then he sent me a link to the comic journal obituary for michael fleischer which i i was like i'm not going to read that because like it's a it's a person who passed away and i just don't want to hear any see any color But uh, they did show off the evidence tags. Uh, Like, when they showed the works that Michael Fleischer was working on, they would show Spectre comic, but they would have the evidence
1: tag right next to it, just being dicks. I know nothing about uh, Fleischer's work. I'm I'm trying to think. I think that we looked at one comic that he wrote, like maybe a Superman annual or something that he had written. But uh, I'm very unfamiliar with his work. So for me, this is mostly like... I just like Shooter talking about the comics in this trailer. Totally.
0: totally. <laughs> but, like, I mean, this is a very... Fa- this is a famous case. Sure. It's, it's a very important case, very well-known case, and uh, he really, Michael Fleischer, is the victim in, to me, is the victim of that Streisand effect where when I see his name in a script, I think, oh, it's that crazy guy. All because of this shit. So, like, you know, leave. let sleeping dogs lie, leave things well enough alone. I don't think of you as the crazy guy. You know what I'm saying? But... Uh, because of all of this rigmarole, all these fundraising comics, anything goes, all that stuff. It's the crazy guy. I, I, that's the first thing I think when I'm looking through the um, boxes underneath the Stairs at Ides and I come across something that looks interesting and I see his name. Oh, it's the crazy guy. <laughs> you know, that's, that's unfortunate because it was a compliment that Harlan Ellison was giving him, saying that the dude's imagination is just so wild that it's like H.P. Lovecraft or it's like Robert E. Howard, Um, but sticks and stones, man. And he didn't get that memo, this Michael Fleischer fella. So the way the game is played, Jimmy plays the voice of everybody who's not Jim Shooter. We're still in cross-examination, so it's uh, the Fantagraphics uh, lawyers, who this Norwick guy is still their uh, counsel, Fantagraphics counsel on first amendment issues s pitkin marshall oh no s pitkin marshall is the is the uh, michael fleischer's lawyer um who says that uh Catron says that his law license is suspended but that probably just means he's retired because he's 78 no longer practicing um but yeah that ken norwick is still their their lawyer on first amendment deals so i'm jim shooter jim's everybody else and that includes the the uh judge who says overruled every two seconds
1: i'm the judge jury and executioner that's
0: goddamn right so where we left off we were besides ourselves uh (laughs) with the new universe comment video link is in the description below uh without further ado if you want to take it off
1: from there jimmy this is norwick prior to the last year or so michael fleischer's talents were not particularly well suited to the direct market isn't that right that's not true Didn't you testify that superheroes and science fiction characters sell best in the direct market? I did. And up until a year ago, Michael Fleischer didn't do superheroes very well. Is that right? That's not true. When did he start doing superheroes well? Marshall, objection. Court
0: overruled. I think that Michael is a very capable writer. I think he can can do a number of things. If I said that he didn't do superheroes well, I was undoubtedly speaking relative to other things, uh, which he has greater strength at. I think Michael is easily equivalent
1: to people who are doing very well at writing superheroes. I show you page 35 of your deposition, Mr. Shooter. By the way, Mr. Shooter, in what year did you give this deposition? I don't remember. Late 1984? If you say so. Did you testify truthfully at this deposition? Certainly. Did you give the following answer at line 8? Well, I think that Michael is better when he is writing things that are more real. I think that he's not as good when he is writing pure fantasy or the real sort of heroic adventure type of stuff. Superheroes or that kind of thing. He tends towards things that are more, you know, solidly planted in reality, so he has a very broad range. I think that leaves open that he can do superheroes, but his work on that is not outstanding. He can do any kind of work, but the work that he does best would be things that are have more reality and less fantasy. Westerns, romances, you know... There is a genre of comics called war comics about soldiers. He would do that well. He would do... Well, we had him doing barbarian characters. Conan, he does that well. End of quote. Did you give that answer? Sure. Was it true in 1984? Yes, it was. So his work on superheroes was not outstanding as late as 1984. Marshall, objection. Court sustained. Back to Norwick. How soon after the publication of the Ellison interview was Michael Fleischer devastated? Well, I think you
0: have to understand that in the comic book business, and especially with when you are dealing with Michael, he tends to be ahead of schedule. Sick. Uh, There is quite a bit of material in the pipe that has been bought and is in the process uh, that is not yet published. I think that the effect was immediate because, as I said, I never heard Michael discussed much one way or the other before, and after that I, I heard him discuss quite frequently and in a negative manner. I think that the effect was cumulative
1: and that it took effect more and more as time went on. And you are the person, in 1980, you were the person responsible for hiring and firing or ultimately responsible for hiring and firing? Yes, I am. Did you take him off Ghost Rider? I think Michael left Ghost Rider voluntarily.
0: But it had nothing to do with the Ellison interview? You know, I don't remember the circumstances of his leaving. Did you take him off of Spider Woman? I took him off of Spider Woman. Anything to do with the Ellison interview? No, had to do with, in fact, it had to do with sales. Uh, We tried an experiment with Michael, and it's very difficult to sell superhero titles. And we tried to do kind of grittier, more mysterious type stories. That didn't work. We wanted a new tack. What do you mean grittier? Well, as I say, more realistic. And by that, I mean by attention to the little convincing details that give
1: verisimilitude. Was there violence in every Spider-Woman story written by Michael Fleischer? Marshall, objection. Court overruled. What you call violence. Killing
0: and maiming. I don't know that there was someone killed in every issue of Spider-Woman. Or
1: maimed. I don't know that. I'm not sure. But in any event, notwithstanding the Ellison interview, you left him on Ghost Rider and you left him on Spider-Woman. Is that correct? Yes. And in fact, you assigned him to Conan Stories, didn't you? Yes, I did. After the Ellison interview. It was a safe place. He was a... He was a ward of Marvel at this point. Are you responsible for his livelihood? Marshall objection. Court sustained. Norwick. How many freelance writers are there out there writing? I guess a hundred. And you've got your choice of pretty much all of them, don't you? Most of them. And you gave Conan to Michael Fleischer. Yes, I did. And that was because it was a safe place. Michael is a very good writer. He would
0: do a very good job on that. I thought uh, it was a place where the direct market resistance to his work wouldn't be a factor. Be Because Conan, unlike uh, most other titles, really is a book that succeeds well on the newsstand. It has an excellent newsstand sale. It has never had a large direct market sale. Michael, as expected, did did very good work on it. Sales rose on the newsstand and fell off
1: slightly in the direct market. Sales rose dramatically after you put Fleischer on Conan? Yes, they did. And this would have been after the publication of the Ellison interview, isn't that right? That's true, but
0: sales went up only on the newsstand market. Uh, They went down on the direct market.
1: Your testimony, if I understand it, is that the direct market appeals to people who follow writers and follow artists. Is that right?
0: People would be more conscious of who the writer was or who the artist was. On the newsstand market, I think they are generally less conscious of who the writer is. They will respond. Sales will increase over a period of time. Uh, On the direct market, if you change markets, sick, uh, or artists, uh, you can often see a dramatic swing in sales with that issue. And Westerns is one of those genres that do well in the direct market. Westerns are not particularly popular. Has Michael Fleischer ever
1: done a story that would be well-suited to the direct market? Michael wrote a Batman and a Daredevil. When did he do that? I don't know. In the early 70s? No idea. Since he worked for Marvel, did he ever work on a series that would have a special appeal to the direct market? As I said, he wrote a Daredevil story. A Daredevil story? Yes. Do you have any information about how Jonah Hex does in the direct market?
0: Well, I understand it was canceled, so I imagine it didn't do
1: too well. When was it canceled? Recently. How about in the early 80s? I think they canceled it and brought it back with a slightly different title. Do you have any understanding of how Jonah Hex fared in 1980 and 1981 in the direct market? I don't know figures, no. Jonah Hex was published by DC, your rival, is that correct? Yes, that's not mine. Can you identify for the jury writers whose name alone sells comic books in the direct market? Yes, I can. Who are they?
0: Alan Moore, myself, (laughs) Chris Claremont, there are others, Frank Miller, Walter Simonson,
1: John Byrne. Of all the hundreds or at least 100 freelance writers and perhaps staff writers, there are three or four who do well in the direct market? Marshall. Objection. Court sustained. Norwick. How many freelance writers appear in Marvel or DC Comics or appeared in the years between 1980 and 1985? I don't understand what you're asking. How many different writers have been published by Marvel in the last five years? I'd have to guess dozens. I don't know. Isn't it a fact that the direct market appeals much more to people who follow artists and writers? I think that they are conscious of all members of the creative team. I have seen
0: artists make a very large impact. Currently, now the people who have the greatest sellability, both write and draw. I believe that Frank Miller, as a writer, certainly has as much impact as any artist.
1: How many stories have you written in the last five years?
0: Somewhere between 50 or so. I don't really know. How do you know that you have a following in the direct market? Because because I have seen sales figures when I have taken over the writing on a book and there's no other change. And I've seen the sales jump in the direct market between 10 and 20,000 copies.
1: You testified about a convention in San Diego in which Mark Evanier made a statement about Michael Fleischer. Is that right? Yes, among others. What did Mark Evanier say? He condemned him.
0: He condemned his work. The gist of it was that he thought things that works by someone who was that sick should not be allowed to be published. Did he refer to any particular work? I think he referred more to Michael than he did to the work. You don't recall him mentioning the Spectre? The Spectre was mentioned a number of times at that panel discussion. I think that Marv Wolfman was the one who really talked the most about the Spectre. Marv compared it to his own Dracula stories. How long did Evanier speak? Several minutes, but he spoke again periodically throughout the discussion because he was the
1: moderator. And was he extremely disapproving of Michael Fleischer and his work? He was very disapproving. And so was Mr. Wolfman? So was Mr. Wolfman. So was Mr. Ween. And some, at least some of them, referred to the Spectre.
0: As I said, I remember Marv making specific comparisons between his work on Dracula and Michael's work on the Spectre series. How about Mr. Ween? Did he refer to any Fleischer work? I think Len made mention of Jonah Hex, but it's very hard for me to remember because it was years ago.
1: Are you familiar with the story in Jonah Hex where Michael Fleischer has Jonah Hex killed and stuffed and mounted? Yes, I am. Did you read that when it first came out? No, I read it sometime later. Before or after you brought him over to Marvel?
0: I don't remember. The editor who is responsible for that story works for me. His name is Larry Hama. He's the one who commissioned the story, uh, done at his direction, done according
1: to his specifications. Wouldn't you agree that it is Michael Fleischer and not the editor who is associated with that particular story? Wouldn't you agree with that? That's a mistake that a fan would make. Anybody in the profession would know better. Do you think it's unfair for people to associate the writer with the product that is published under that writer's name? I think that the fact that the writer's
0: name is on the material is a courtesy. It's something that Stanley started doing back in the 60s. At that time and throughout the 60s, DC didn't put the names of the creative people on the work, including mine. It's the fact of the matter that, as I say, if you write for Disney, you do a Mickey Mouse the way they want it done and the same holds true for any work for hire that you do for a comic book company.
1: Would you be surprised then to learn that Michael Fleischer has repeatedly claimed that his work reflects himself? Marshall, objection to mischaracterization. The court overruled. As I said before,
0: I think that any writer's work to some extent reflects himself. I think, however, that the implication that you are making is ridiculous.
1: We interrupt this program to pay some bills. Ed and I are both Eisner award-winning cartoonists, and here are some of our latest comics. Ed Piscor's Red Room, the anti-social network, out now, available wherever you buy books, comic shops, bookstores, online, directly from the publisher, whatever works for you. If you're into graphic violence and depravity, this is the book for you. The best outlaw horror comic being published today and available wherever comics are bought and sold. And the new series of Red Room, Red Room Trigger Warnings, gonna be a big 2022 for us, Ed. Red Room Trigger Warnings starting in February, 2022. You see the main cover here. There are also variants, including my Robert Crumb homage for Trigger Warnings number one, Peach Momoko, and the uh, Retailer Incentive variant by Ed Piscor. These will be out in February, and due to some uh, ransomware issues with the distributor, these may be the most rare Red Room comics ever published. So pick these up whenever you see them, and uh, February, right around the corner, these will be in your local comic shop before you know it. So grab those at the first chance that you have. My next big project, Hulk Grand Design Monster, will be out in comic book shops March 2022. And uh, I have some marching orders for the cartoonist Kayfabe faithful out there. I want this to be the most pre-ordered, subscription-held comics that your local comic shop has ever seen or dealt with. So get in your comic shop owner's face with your phone, show them this cover, tell them you want this book on your pool list in your subscription box, and basically make them sick of hearing about Hulk Grand Design. 40 years of incredible Hulk comics put down in two issues, Hulk Grand Design Monster and Hulk Grand Design Madness coming in April, 2022. This tells about 10,000 pages of comics in a concise, super dense, and uh, hopefully well-designed 80 pages. And uh, you will want to, to uh, pick this book up. It's perfect for the new readers. It's perfect for the longtime fans. It's perfect for the fans of cartoonist kayfabe. So tell your local comic shop about this and uh, tell it to them. Three or four times. Sometimes you need to hear it more than once to uh, make it stick. But, hey, Marvel didn't back me up with Retailer Incentive Comics, and to me, that is a slap in the cartoonist kayfabe community's face that they don't believe this is one of their top-selling books. Let's change their mind. Let's prove them wrong. Let's show them what cartoonist kayfabe is all about. And we've got some great variant covers available, starting with Ed Piscor's variant for Monster here. A throwback to uh, Wolverine. First appearance of Wolverine costume-wise, but the classic iconic McFarlane cover there. Um, that's a brilliant idea, man, and I love those greens. Peach Momoko turning into a cartoonist kayfabe darling here with uh, between Red Room and Hulk, man, that's a lot of Peach Momoko variants, and the great Marcos Martin doing the Hulk transformation cover variant. Pretty awesome, I'm a little bit jealous that he nailed this on a cover. Looks cool to me, man. You said it off the the bat, man. uh, Not retail incentive, variants.
0: So that means that kayfabers, you could get every flavor that you want. It's all within your range,
1: man. So get your hands on the the complete set. And uh, once again, man, tell your local comic shop owner, Hulk Grand Design, pre-order them for you and order them big. And now back to our regular scheduled programming. Apart from the San Diego panel discussion, have you heard other similar comments about Fleischer's work? I've heard a lot of comments about Fleischer. Any good? Any about his work? I've talked to my own editors uh, about his work in a normal, professional way. In your travels, you talk to distributors, and you talk to store owners, and you talk to fans. Is that right? Yes. Have you ever heard anyone refer to Fleischer's work as sick and twisted, or words to that effect, ever? Well, yes, certainly. As I said, I heard it referred to at that discussion. Apart from the discussion, and all your travels, have people come up to you and said Fleischer's work is sick and twisted? Yes. They have said that?
0: I think that, as I said more commonly, they would start with Fleischer
1: and conclude with the work. In terms of Marvel's incentive policy, a writer can only make the incentive monies if the book sells over a threshold amount. Isn't that right? That's true, but all Marvel books make the threshold with very rare exceptions. Are you aware of the fact that DC made him an editor following the publication of the Ellison interview?
0: DC Comics went through a phase where they basically had a lot of writers who were writer-slash-editors. It was not unusual at the time for almost
1: everyone to be a writer-editor. Even people whose reputations have been destroyed. As I said, almost everyone. Even people who were thought of as crazy deranged. Perhaps they knew Michael personally and knew better. And you did too? You kept him on, right? As I said, I knew better. No further questions. The court. Mr. Lyons, cross-examination by Lyons. Lyons. Did you go to lunch today, Mr. Shooter? Yes. With whom? With Mr. Marshall and his associate. Did you discuss this case? A little bit. Did you discuss your testimony this morning? A little, yes. When you discussed the case, were you told what kind of questions you could expect this afternoon from Mr. Norwick and myself? Only in a general way. Tell me what they said to you and what you said to them about the general way the questions would go. Really, not
0: much. Basically, Mr. Marshall told me that he thought that I did well and that I just continue to handle
1: myself the way that I am, that I would be fine. Did you discuss at any time the problem that Mr. Fleischer has in proving compensatory damages as a result of these purported libels? Nothing like that was said, no. Was it ever said in any conversations you ever
0: had with Mr. Marshall? Mr. Marshall asked me several times about the damage that had been done to Michael Fleischer. Uh, When you said, compensatory damages. Are you talking about
1: the ruling of the court? I'm talking about damages that emanated from the statements made in issue 53 of the comics journal. Did he ever tell you in sum or substance that Mr. Fleischer would have a grave difficulties? Marshall, objection to form, move to strike, court overruled, back to Lyons. Grave difficulties in proving that he was injured as a result of those statements. He never said anything like that. When you had your first conversation with the plaintiff's counsel who raised the subject of the direct market? I did. And what did Mr. Marshall say to you about the direct market? I don't think he really understood how it all worked. Did you explain it to him? Yes, I did. How long did you take to explain it to him? Minutes, I don't know. And you told him there were two distinct markets? I told him approximately what I said in here before, yes. As of 1984, there were two distinct markets. Is that what you told him? Certainly. As of 1984 and commencing in 1980, would you detail for me the efforts that you made to market Mr. Fleischer in the direct market? I don't know what you're asking me. Are you talking about? Mr. Shooter, you are in charge, Marshall. Objection to the comment. Court objection sustained. Comment will be stricken. Back to lions. What efforts, if any, did you as a vice president of Marvel make in 1980 to market Mr. Fleischer in the direct market? The exact same
0: effort we make for everyone. Describe it. We publish it. We solicit. Who did you solicit in 1980 for Mr. Fleischer? His works appeared on the same solicitation as everybody else's. What works did he have in 1980? I don't remember. I don't remember exactly what came out that year. He had Conan? Okay. What else? I don't know. Uh, Was he still doing Ghost Rider and Spider Woman then? I really can't tell you which issue
1: came out which date. Is the only marketing you do is put out a list of comics to the direct market?
0: More and more as the direct market has grown, we are able to afford to do things like promotional posters and things like that. But we really only have begun doing point-of-purchase displays and any kind of meaningful advertising. When? This year.
1: So you didn't do anything meaningful to market anybody on your list until this year? But we don't have to. Why not? Because we are Marvel Comics. Oh. Marshall, objection. Court, counsel's comment will be stricken. Back to Lyons. Tell me what resistance occurred in 1980 when you decided to give Mr. Fleischer Conan. As I
0: said, in my travels I met a lot of people. I talked to a lot of people. The announcement of Michael working on Savage Sword was booed at the Chicago Convention. I became aware in the course of pursuing my job that he had become a negative, a
1: detriment to sales in the direct market. When did the Chicago Convention take place? Late summer. Of 1980? I think so. And you announced a change in authorship of the Conan comic book?
0: The Savage Sword of Conan? Yes. And it was among many things that I was announcing. You announced it to an audience? Yes. And how many people were in the audience? I'm not a crowd estimator. I would guess several hundred. And when you announced the name Michael Fleischer, they booed? Yes.
1: For what reason?
0: No one stood up and waved a copy of the Comics Journal, but as I said before, I've never had negative reaction to the name Michael Fleischer before.
1: You had just changed a writer, had you not, of a popular series? I changed a writer, yes, sir. So you don't know what was going on in those 500 minds when you made that announcement? I don't read minds. Good. Marshall, objection. Court, counsel's comment will be stricken. Back to Lyons. I'm sorry, Your Honor. As an expert in comics, there are fans, are there not? I didn't understand that question. Sir, are there fans of particular comic books?
0: Are there fans who are interested in particular comics?
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Fans that follow certain artists? Yes. Certain writers? Yes. Certain scripters? Okay. Certain inkers? Yes. When you announce a change, do you consider that the change will be immediately acceptable or do you allow for the possibility of disagreement on the part of the fans? Well, as
0: I said, it is my business to be knowledgeable about these things. I had no reason to expect any negative reaction to Michael Fleischer being announced as the writer of Savage Sword. But what you got was a negative
1: Marshall objection to the interruption. I guess I'm finished lions. Did you get a negative reaction? I did. What if anything did you do about that negative reaction? Well, in
0: as much as it was Savage Sword, which as I said before, kind of a bulletproof title, I just put it out of my mind. I saw the direct sales dip a little bit, but it wasn't, but I wasn't worried because Conan is always sold well on the newsstand. In fact, I was correct in my assessment that the sales got better on the newsstand. Sales went up dramatically, sir? Yes. Despite the booze? Well, they went down in, in the direct market. This was a convention who were there. How did they go in the other market? They went down in, in the direct market. They went up on the newsstand market where people respond more just to the quality of the work uh, and to the name of the title, Conan, rather than the writer. Is the elevation of the writer to the status of editor a promotion or a demotion? I think it's, it depends. Uh, the best paid writers would be taking a substantial pay cut. Someone who is just beginning might see it as a way to improve his position. Sir, when did you re-enter the comic book market in the 1970s? I'm not exactly sure. It was either late 73 or early 74. In 1974, you were a writer?
1: Yes. And in 1977, you became an editor? Actually, it was uh, January 1st of 1976. Did you consider that a promotion or a demotion? Well, at the time, it was
0: something I'd always wanted to do. Uh, I really also, also at the time, uh, the income for writers was much lower than it is now, so it was kind of a lateral move in terms of income.
1: Moved to strike as non-responsive. The court, could you read the question? Question read, the court, denied. Back to Lyons. Mr. Shooter, you've used the expression hot property several times in the past day and a half. Can you explain what is meant by that?
0: Uh, Well, this is the entertainment business. Things come into fashion. Right now, the X-Men is a very popular Marvel book, therefore we've done several spin-offs, and as expected, each of those have done very well. If we do a spin-off of the X-Men, we have a very reasonable expectation that this will be a hot property book uh, that has a great chance to succeed in a direct market. Is Mr. Claremont the principal author of that series? The author of that series is Marvel Comics. Mr. Claremont is a writer for hire. Does he write it? He writes it under the direction
1: and supervision of an editor. Does he write a hot property? Yes. And that is marketable in the direct market? Sure. And the writer of a hot property is a hot writer. True or false?
0: Well, it's hard to put... One first, the property helps build the writer's reputation. If the writer is good, he will help build the property. It's not something you can separate. Is the writer of a hot property a hot writer? As I said, the writer builds the property, the property builds the writer. Sir, is the writer of a cool property a cool writer? Not necessarily. We have, for instance, put Chris Claremont on titles like Spider Woman, for instance, trying to see if his name would pull enough readers to help. His name
1: increased the direct sales, Considerably, but ultimately not enough. But you put him on that property because he was a hot rider. That's true. As compared to someone who was not a hot rider. That's true. As compared to someone who was in the pack. As compared to someone who was a detriment to sales. Did you ever describe Mr. Fleischer as being in the pack? I think
0: that he was in the pack in the late 70s, early 80s. The late 70s were prior to the Ellison interview? Depends on how late, I suppose. Uh, Again, I don't know the exact dates of
1: these things. You said as of the late 1970s he was in the pack? Yes. As of 1980, had he done anything to take himself out of the pack? I don't think that he had done anything to take himself out of the pack. As of 1980, what, if anything, had you done to take him out of the
0: pack? I certainly didn't do anything to take him out of the pack. As of 1981, was he still in the pack? No, he had fallen behind. (laughs) <laughs> I have to
1: interject something Please. we need some kind of pack t-shirt right i've never <laughs> heard a phrase like this and they said it 20 times now the wolf pack baby too
0: sweet
1: as a result of
0: what as a result of the ellison interview and the subsequent continuation the expansion
1: and that is the only reason you know marshall objection to the interruption court are you finished with your answer yes So as of 1980, he was not only in the pack, but had fallen behind the rest of the pack. Is that your testimony, sir? I believe that he lost the opportunity to. What opportunity? To get ahead.
0: What opportunity? The same people he was in the pack with. Some of them went on to become hot properties, hot writers. Could that have been because they were better writers? In my opinion, no. Who are these people you've referred to? Bill Mantlo. Mark DiMatteis, Roger Stern, Mike Barr, other writers.
1: I'd have to look. Is a writer's popularity reflected in his sales? Yes. The sales of Conan rose dramatically? On the newsstand. On the newsstand. Having seen that, tell me what you did to get Mr. Fleischer into this developing market that you saw develop. Well, as I said, especially back then, we did not uh, take any writer or
0: try to make him a star. We published the material. We solicited the material. We did a very small smattering of promotion. What makes a writer a star in the comic book industry? I think that a writer must be a good writer first. Then I think that he develops a name and reputation and becomes known. These things all work together. If he becomes known, more artists wish to work with him. More editors want to hire him. He gets offered better and better properties to work on and it all
1: grows together. Mr. Shooter is a writer's reputation based in large part upon his writing, yes or no? Yes. As of 1980, what had Mr. Fleischer written that would impede his becoming a hot property? I don't think he'd written anything that would impede him from becoming a hot property. He had written Chasing Harry in 1979, didn't he, sir? I don't think that would have any effect. He had written for Vampirella prior to 1980, had he not. I don't think that would have much effect. He had written... Do you know if he had created any original comic book characters prior to 1980? It seems to me that he did. He created a couple of original characters for Atlas, which... Can you name Marshall? Objection to interruption, court
0: sustained. It was a company that was around for a very short time. Did he create a character
1: called the Grim Ghost? I guess so. I'm not familiar with it. Did he create a character called Iron Jaw? Once again, I'm not familiar with it. Did he create a character called the Tarantula? Quite possibly. I'm not familiar with it. How much of his work were you familiar with prior to 1980 when you gave him Conan?
0: I was familiar with some of the work that he had done at DC
1: Comics and whatever he'd done for us and that was limited to a very few mystery stories and a few samples of the specter
0: well it was limited to whatever it was i had read i had read the specter i probably read some jonah hex and some mystery stories when i assess the ability of a writer it really doesn't matter what kind of story i'm reading i can see whether the man can construct a story whether he deals well with words i feel confident that i can with not too much effort Teach him what he needs to know to write Spider-Man
1: or whatever, if he's a good writer. In your opinion, Mr. Shooter, would it impact upon the comic book industry to any extent to have a writer describe the comic book fan as a stupid, greedy, avaricious child? Marshall, objection. Court
0: overruled. Well, once again, the word fan, quote-unquote, is misleading. When fan is used to refer to the people who we commonly refer to as heavy breathers, people who are full-time collectors and very intense, a very small number of people really, you know, uh, then that reference would be a very small number of people. Another one of those sentences. Uh, When I say quote-unquote fan, I am talking about the people who read comic books. I'm talking about millions of people. There's a connotation of the word fan that is kind of worst-case people. I guess I'm done.
1: Do people purchase comic books? Do people purchase comic books? Yes. Yes. And when they purchase them on a regular basis, are they referred to as comic book fans, yes or no? Once again,
0: well, I can't answer it, yes or no. The word is a misleading term. It has many meanings. It's a multi-layered term? Yes, in some connotations, the word fan, as I say, refers to a very small group of people. Define that group for me, if you could. Well, I think that there is a small group of people who are like the most rabid sports fans. People who will collect autographs and wait outside the stadium for people. There are a couple of fans who will even come and watch Marvel softball games. They become fans of something other than the books and the characters, the people who create them, or what I think of as fans of fandom. Their social life becomes oriented towards each other as fans. Is that the first layer of the word fan? I
1: don't know what you mean by the first layer. That's a meaning that I've heard used. Describe the next layer or type of fan or fandom. Court. I think before he does that, we will take an afternoon recess. Recess. Open court, jury present. The court. Mr. Lyons. Lyons. Mr. Shooter, have you finished describing the first layer of fandom? Uh, marshal. Objection. Court, would you read the last question before break? Question read, the court. The question before you is to describe the next layer of fandom
0: <laughs> I don't like to think of it as a layer I think another use of the term would be to describe the people who are collectors who are very interested in comics the type of reader who goes to specialty shops and are conscious of the names of the
1: creators and so forth is there a third layer Marshall objection to form court the court has rejected the word layer mr. Lyons. Lyons. Are there any other types of fans other than the two categories you have described for us? I think that,
0: generally speaking, when I use the word fan, I am referring to readers in general, anyone interested
1: to pick up a comic. If someone else were to use the word fan, would you automatically assume that they were using the term exactly as you were? No, I wouldn't. I'd try to understand the context. Would you please turn to Plaintiff's Exhibit 56 in Evidence, Journal 56 featuring the interview with Fleischer. The right-hand column beginning with the sentence. Fleischer, I think a lot of fandom is very childish. Catrone, how do you mean that? Fleischer, well, if we get into this, I'm just going to alienate all of Catrone. Go ahead, we probably alienate people on a lot of issues. Fans can take a little criticism. Fleischer, this is not meant as a characterization of all fans. What I know about fandom, I really just... What I know about fandom I really know just from conventions and the fanzines. Much was not printed in the original interview. The first of these qualities is avarice, and the second is anger. And then I get the impression that there are as many crooks per capita in fandom as there are in Folsom prison. Lions. What impact, if any, would those words have upon the direct market?
0: I think it's clear here that he is talking about a very few people, especially since he gives an example of what he is talking about. I think he is talking about the very small group of fans. The heavy breathers. And then he says underneath that, uh, I'm sure I have exaggerated, as he goes on to describe what he means in greater detail. He is speaking in hyperbole. He says,
1: I'm sure I've exaggerated. I guess I exaggerated. In your opinion, sir, is he literally saying that all comic book fans should be placed in prison? Martial objection, court sustained. Back to lions. Does he call fans crooks? The way I would answer
0: that is not that there is a sentence here that says this is not meant as a characterization of all fans. He is telling me that he's very, he is telling me that he means a very small group of people. He gives a specific type of example and then goes on to describe more about what he means. I think that he is talking about a very small
1: group of people, I think. Is he talking about the first group that you finished describing to us, the heavy breathers? I think he's probably talking about a very small group. Which group? The
0: first group you described to us, or the second group you described to us? As in this example, he refers to people who would be at conventions, so I would assume that it would be confined to people who would go to conventions. Are these people usually collectors? I would say usually. I wouldn't say exclusively. For the most part, they are collectors? Yes, I would say that for the most part they are collectors. The people who buy in the direct market, is that what you finished telling us this afternoon? No, that is not correct. Uh, He is not saying this about people who buy in a direct market. He is talking about a very small percentage of a very small group. Do collectors
1: buy in the direct market, sir? Yes, they do. Sir, is it true that as of 1980, the placement of Michael Fleischer's name upon a comic book would not cause it to jump 40,000 or 50,000 copies in sales? Marshall, objection to form, court overruled. In my opinion,
0: there was probably uh, only one person who would have that kind of impact in 1980.
1: In 1980? Yes. As of 1980, sir, can you recall the time that you assigned the Savage Sword of Conan to Mr. Fleischer to write? The month? No, I can't. Was it after the Ellison interview? I think so. Was it after the Fleischer interview that appeared in June? I think so. Was it after the comic book convention that took place in July of that year? I don't know. Did you attend that comic book convention? Yes, I did. Sir, referring solely to comic book conventions, how many conventions have you attended where Mr. Ellison spoke? Marshall, objection, asked, and answered. Court overruled. Several. We know, one of, which, we know of one in 1980 July in New York. Is that correct? Marshall, objection to the mischaracterization. Court overruled.
0: That is a convention where I heard him speak in a large auditorium. I heard him do his act for a large group. I heard him speak at other conventions. I don't recall whether he was on the program at these other conventions. I have heard him talk to groups of people.
1: At conventions? At conventions, at parties. Do you understand what a convention is? I think so, sir. The court. Counsel's comment will be stricken. To Shooter, you may answer questions. Don't ask them. I'm sorry. Back to Lyon's. Starting with the comic book convention in July of 1980 and going into 1981, name the next convention that you attended where, as a member of the audience, you heard Mr. Ellison lecture at a comic book convention. That's not a proper question. You don't lecture at a convention. I heard him speak to a group of people in San Diego. Is this the same San Diego convention where Mr. Fleischer was the subject of a panel discussion of his mental health? I don't know if that was the same convention. Tell me what Mr. Ellison lectured on at the convention that you remember going to in San Diego.
0: He spoke to a large group of people in a party that was for professionals and some fans and dealers. He basically did his usual act. He spoke about whatever traumas and battles he was involved in at that moment.
1: Is there anything improper about somebody going to a party to discuss his controversy with people in attendance at the party?
0: I don't. I have no. I don't judge the propriety of that. Uh, I don't have any comment on
1: that. Do you recall, do you regard the interview that he gave the Comic Journal as an act? What do you mean? Do you mean as a performance? Yes, sir. Is this just a performance? Absolutely not. So this was not an act? No, I think it was sincere. And he sincerely expressed his opinions, if you know about the comic book industry. That is how I took it. And he described the entire comic book industry as a booby hatch. Did he not? If you say so, I don't remember. Would you turn to page 94, journal number 53? In the first left-hand column on page 95 does Mr. Ellison appear to call the comic book industry a booby hatch? Yes. Did you take that literally to mean that all members of the industry, including Mr. Groth, yourself, Mr. Fleischer, should be confined to a mental institution? I took it as an
0: insult that was directed to the people, directed at the people in the comic book industry.
1: Your opinion is that this was an insulting statement, is that correct? Yes. Was it a statement of fact, sir, that the industry is a booby hatch? Are you asking me if he meant it? Yes. Did he mean to state and to convey that the entire comic book industry was a mental institution? Marshall. Objection to the mischaracterization. Court overruled.
0: I think what he was saying uh, was he was insulting the entire industry.
1: You regarded it as insulting?
0: I wouldn't rephrase it in the way you
1: rephrased it. Did you literally take those words to mean that Harlan Ellison was telling fandom at large that everyone in the comic book industry should be confined to a mental institution? That wasn't what he said. Did he call it a mental institution, the industry itself? He called it a booby hatch. What is your understanding of booby hatch, sir? I assume it's a place where they keep boobies. Do you understand boobies to have any other meaning than crazy or insane? I wouldn't touch that line with a 10-foot pole. Well, sir, if you would tell me what your understanding of the word "booby hatch" is, uh, the way I have to answer
0: that, the way I have to answer that is I read the whole interview. There is even a quote in bold that sets the context for that statement. He is insulting and denigrating comics in a very broad way. What is the nature of the
1: insult, sir?
0: The nature of the insult is that the people in the comic book industry are—I don't know—can't think of the words for it. They are in a booby hatch. I don't know what else to say. You are a writer, sir? (laughs) Such a dick.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I usually don't write with people looking at me like this. Sir, at the San Diego Convention of 1980, can you tell us what, if anything, Mr. Kleiben said of and concerning Mr. Fleischer?
0: Mr. Kleiben really didn't talk much about Michael, and he didn't know his work. He was mostly talking about what was transpiring before his eyes.
1: What did Mr. Hartley say of and concerning Mr. Fleischer?
0: Again, Mr. Hartley was not very familiar with Michael Lena's work. He spoke more or less, well, what he said was, if you are saying is true about this man and if his work is, as you say, uh, and that he joined the others in thinking that it ought not to be published. Another weird set, set of syntax
1: there. What specifically do you remember Len Wayne saying of and concerning Michael Fleischer?
0: Len talked a great deal comparing his own work uh, and what he thought the moral responsibility of a comic book writer was to the way Michael was and the kind of stories Michael wrote. I believe he brought up uh, Jonah Heck's story. He He talked a lot about how his stories, his characters were happy, friendly people, and that's how it ought to be, and that the comic book creators had an obligation to set good
1: example to provide positive role models. What, if anything, did Marv Wolfman say of and concerning Michael Fleischer?
0: Marv, I think, did a lot of comparing of Michael's work to his own uh, Dracula work. Marv said that he thought that even though he had written horror and had done a lot of vampire stories and people with stakes driven through their hearts and fangs through through necks and virgins hung naked (laughs) upside down on crosses and the whole vampire trip, that it was okay because his characters had honor and Michael Fleischer's characters had no honor and that he said a number of very derogatory things about Michael and his work. What did he say? The gist of it was that Michael was a sick, twisted individual and that his work was terrible and shouldn't be published. And did you understand his statements to be based
1: upon an examination of Michael Fleischer's work?
0: My understanding of what was happening was that this was in support of what Harlan had said. How did you come by that understanding, sir? It was mentioned. Who mentioned it? I don't know. Did Mr. Clibin mention it? Mr. Clybin wasn't aware of it. Mr. Hartley? Mr. Hartley couldn't have been aware of it.
1: Charmin D. Vono? Could be. But you are not sure? I don't know. Len Wayne? Could be. Marv Wolfman? I don't know. But you are not sure? I'm not sure. Do you recall how much time this discussion among these people took? These things take an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. I think this one was an hour. Is it in your testimony, sir, that the entire topic of the discussion was Michael Fleischer and his works?
0: No, not the entire topic. As I said, Scott Shaw had a lot to say on the subject of comics in general. He'd spent a lot of time talking about how there should only be funny animals. (laughs) That's what he writes. (laughs) He took a plot from Stan Lee's story, uh, I believe, and he read it out loud, making fun as he did so. I think that once Cliven started arguing with the other people on the panel over things like condemning this man who was not there to defend himself and how dare they do this, a lot of the time was consumed in that argument. There was also questions from the audience there was a lot of arguing
1: going on. Sir, do you believe that one of Mr. Fleischer's main strengths is in writing war stories? I think that is probably something he would be able to do. Does Marvel, as of today, publish
0: war stories? It publishes a book called The NOM, which is very realistic day-by-day life
1: of a soldier in Vietnam. Between 1980 and 1982, did you ever publish a comic called G.I. Joe? Yes. Are you still publishing G.I. Joe? Yes. Have you ever expanded the number of listings that you publish under the banner G.I. Joe?
0: Do we issue more than one title? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Yes. How many? We publish one monthly book called G.I. Joe. We publish a bi-monthly book called G.I. Joe Special Missions. And we publish
1: occasional specials. For how many years has Marvel been doing this? I don't know exactly. I think probably five years. Knowing that one of Mr. Fleischer's main strengths is war stories, why is it you didn't assign him to G.I. Joe? G.I. Joe is not a war book. Would you classify it in the same genre as Archie? No. Marshal. Objection. Court overruled. Where would you classify it, sir? I think that
0: probably G.I. Joe bears a lot of resemblance to Mission Impossible, anti-terrorist stuff, functional enemies. Does it involve soldiers? It involves a group of very highly skilled technically oriented people chosen from uh, various military branches. It in fact predated Delta Force. When Delta Force was announced, we thought we ought to get royalties from the government. (laughs) It involves the armed services? It involves agents from various branches of the armed services combined into one
1: anti-terrorist strike force. Sir, are these agents soldiers, sailors, Marines, Air Force men? Most of them are, yes. Thank you. Marshal. objection to the thank you, Lions. I'm sorry to Shooter. Isn't it a fact that Marvel Comics ties this magazine in with the toys that are manufactured by Hasbro for the GI Joe series?
0: Marvel Comics was hired to create the toy line and reactivate the trademark.
1: Would there be any blemish in assigning a writer to these war stories? Marshall, objection to relevance? Court, to what war stories? Lions? In G.I. Joe, the court, he just said they weren't war stories. Lions. Would there be any objection to assigning someone to write these terrorist stories? They are not terrorist
0: stories. If you want to know, the man who did the creative development on G.I. Joe is a man named Larry Hama. Every year we pay him a great deal of money to do continuing development on the G.I. Joe toy line as well as the G.I. Joe comic. Larry is particularly qualified to write the book because he is involved in the creation of it and has been since the beginning. He is currently writing all of our G.I. Joe material because he is the creator and he likes to do He likes to do it and we think he, is a, he does a good job.
1: How well does it do in the direct market?
0: At the beginning G.I. Joe found a lot of resistance in the direct market. Now, over the course of five years, it has becoming more popular. You also write a
1: series called The Transformers. We publish a series called The Transformers. Is that a tie-in with toys? Yes. Is there any reason why Mr. Fleischer wasn't assigned to that series? As is usual with toy books, uh, when we started publishing Transformers, we had
0: a great deal of difficulty getting anyone to write it. Uh, We were stuck with people, really, who were either beginning or who couldn't find other work. Finally, I did the same thing that I did with G.I. Joe. I had one of the fellows who worked on the creative development of the series write the series and made someone else the editor of the series. I was able to do that because since he is a staff employee, I could order him to do it. It has since turned out to be a very successful book. Uh, Thanks in large part to the toy tie in let me get a piece of conjecture in here because yesterday I watched a Larry Hama interview on YouTube which by the way we need to get one of those ourselves and he said one of the big detractors for the creatives for the writers uh, for the page rate people is that um, the toy license fee comes off the page rate so so those books made less of a page rate than any of the properties that Marvel owned.
1: Wow. We could jump back into the game if you're good. Okay, back to Lions. Did any of these people that you assigned tell you that they considered a step down to be assigned to writing these stories?
0: As I said, in the case of G.I. Joe and Transformers, because at least with G.I. Joe, because Larry Hama was the primary creator in it, he had a vested interest uh, in it from the beginning. With Transformers, we had a great deal of difficulty finding someone to do it. Uh, It was thought of certainly as a step down and not a good assignment. I fixed that by forcing the man who had done the creative development to do it, and then later on he was glad he did. Another piece of conjecture. Watch the Transformers uh, Toys That Made Us episode on Netflix, and they reenact this shit where he forces Bob Budiansky to uh, do the deal. Bad wigs in the remake, by the way. (laughs)
1: And the Jim Shooter didn't look tall enough. (laughs) Alright, back to Lions. Sir, earlier in your direct You identified a gentleman named Michael Hobson for us. Yes. What is his present position with Marvel Comics? His title is Group Vice President Publishing. At any time in the past three years, did you have a writer working for you called Bill Mantlo? Yes. Do you recall what series he worked on for you? He worked on a number of series. Did he work on a series called The Hulk? Yes. Sir, how many titles a year does Marvel Comics publish?
0: I think we probably have been publishing around 600 for the last several years, increasingly, increasing slowly. 600 titles? 600 separate publications. That's just the comic book division I'm in charge of. We also have Marvel Books where we publish children's
1: books. Confining ourselves solely to the comics division are the bulk of these titles printed on a monthly basis. At this point, more than half. And the remaining
0: balance, would they be bimonthly? There would be some bi-monthly, some uh, limited series
1: specials, graphic novels, epic comics. Grouping the monthly comics, the bi-monthlies, the limited series, and the graphic novels all together, what would be the average cost of a Marvel comic book? What would the average cost of a Marvel comic book be? Cost to whom? To the purchaser at the newsstand, sir. It's really averaging some pretty strange combinations. Graphic novels can be anything from five to eight dollars or more. Would you have a figure then of, if we took $300 for the comics and $200 for the other books, about $500 a month? I suppose so. And do you maintain a subscription list for these titles? Yes, we do. Can you tell me if you know why it is that Mr. Ellison is supplied with every title that the Marvel comic book division publishes free of charge? Because I put him on the comp list.
0: For what reason, sir? It was part of an agreement we made with Ellison to settle a story, sick of of his, that was plagiarized in The Hulk and Harlan. When it was brought up to my attention and I saw that it was true, we discussed, I suppose, with Harlan, uh, with his with his lawyer, a settlement. Uh, we paid him, and
1: part of this settlement was we'd give him free comics. Do you know how, man, how much money was paid Mr. Fleischer in 1979 as a writer? No, I don't. Do you know how much money Marvel paid him in 1980 as a writer? No. Do you know how much money they paid him in 1981 as a writer? No, I don't. Do you know how much money they paid him in 1982 as a writer? No, I don't. Do you know how much money they paid him in 1983 as a writer? No, not off the top of my head. Would you please take a look at Defendant's Exhibit BBB in Evidence, a chart of Fleischer's annual income from 1979 to 1983? Okay. During your discussion with the plaintiff's attorneys, did you ever discuss this document? These numbers were mentioned to me, but I didn't remember them. What did they tell you of it concerning this document? They asked
0: me if these numbers had any significance. I told them uh, I thought they were very low. You thought
1: they were very low? Yeah, especially the later numbers. In contrast with the numbers that are earned by hot writers of hot properties?
0: By comparable writers, by middle-of-the-road writers, by even beginning writers. Beginning writers? Yes. Anyone who makes the cut and can work full-time in the comic book industry, at least a Marvel, can do far better than this.
1: Would they do better than that because they were better writers? No. Would they do better than that because they
0: were poor writers? I think uh, if they make the cut and are good enough to work full-time, it would be very hard to earn this little. Was he working full-time exclusively for Marvel
1: during this period? No. What does that sheet reflect? It reflects working at Marvel and DC. So that during this period, as a part-time author for Marvel comic books, His income went from $14,000 in 1979 to what in
0: 1983? It went from $14,900 to $39,600. As
1: a part-time writer? As a writer who is also working for other companies, yes. Thank you, Mr. Shooter. Marshall, objection. Court, counsel's comments will be stricken. Do you have any further questions, Mr. Lyons? Lyons, not at this time, your honor. The court, I take it that not at this time means no. Is that right? lions yes your honor it means no the court ladies and gentlemen we will adjourn at this time until 9 30 tomorrow morning
0: well as the court takes a break jimmy we actually still uh we still have a little bit of uh court back and forth to go but we at least know what a booby hatch is now
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> although i'm not going to touch it with a 10 foot pole what is i mean some of these answers
0: that like shooter is playing verbal gymnastics in many ways to just not state the obvious
1: look the whole thing feels this way and honestly (laughs) you know like it makes me eager to read more of these depositions more of these testimonies because it's it is bizarre you know like it is a real verbal you know like some kind of linguistic battle almost um it's, it's interesting. It's, it's different than I expected. It's Here, not uh, a few good men or whatever that. I'm used to a
0: okay. uh, courtroom looking like. Aaron Sorkin didn't write this shit. <laughs> yeah, no, he didn't. Uh, how sad is it? And this is how you know that it wasn't Eric Reynolds. Uh, Doogie Hauser lawyer, 15 years old with his three-piece suit on asking the questions of Jim Shooter. Because when Jim Shooter says, I think only one person would be the one to be able to like tip the scales and get a book to go from one thing to one thing. The lawyer didn't follow that up and ask. I was hoping to, to see a name. We didn't see that. So
1: yeah, you're right about that. I'm
0: leaning. I'm leaning toward uh, the counsel for Fantagraphics actually being lawyers and not uh, Peppy White or Drew Friedman <laughs> or so, or somebody like that. Robert Crumb. It is
1: funny. <laughs> Any real comic book nerd or fan uh, from either of those groups. I want to know the name. Do you have? Do you have an idea of like who? It's, who it it's got to be? be Frank Miller. Frank Miller. Or, Maybe Alan Moore.
0: You know what would be such balls? If he was like me. <laughs> he included his name up there with uh, all the big willies, man. The, you know, Chris Claremont, the guy who was selling uh, X-Men comics at 7, 700000 a piece. The Alan Moores who were creating tent pool works like Watchmen. The Frank Millers who had Dark Knight Returns and getting publicity in magazines and stuff like Playboy and things like that. Uh, Jim Shooter included his name in that mixture. Maybe Secret Wars is uh, is his his. <laughs> the the piece of his C V
1: that would get him up there? Could be. John Byrne used to, you know, famously uh talk about his Byrne victims following him around and, and increasing a book sales by fifty thousand. So for who's working at Marvel at this time consistently, it's possible Byrne would be the guy who would uh increase your numbers by tens of thousands by putting him on a book. Um and I have to correct myself. I said I, I wasn't familiar with Fleischer work. Uh, I know Iron Jaw and Tarantula from yeah, yeah, Alice yeah. Comics, so I didn't realize that was Fleischer, but I want to set the record straight.
0: Yeah, yeah, very important because we are in a court of law and everything you say can be held against you, man. Exactly. Oh, fantastic. So we are going to wrap up the Jim Shooter Testimony next week same bat time same bat channel and guess what we have future depositions and, and testimony to give we still have the the todd McFarlane deposition uh in the case with neil gaiman that we have to unpack on the channel got our hands on a stan lee deposition from 2010 where i think he's like a character witness uh sort of for marvel um or like a, like an expert witness uh skewing towards more marvel in some jack kirby gimmick and uh a kayfaber out there say it man
1: sent us another gym shooter deposition this time for flex mentallo yeah uh, which in favor i wonder
0: f- charles atlas
1: okay i wondered who he was who side he was coming down on this wow. this
0: gym shooter's a yenta he he wants to he wants to he wants to he wants to have some FaceTime, man he wants to be asked some questions he wants to sit in the box Once he learned that
1: expert witnesses could get paid, maybe, uh, that became a more attractive role. See, he says he didn't get paid in this. Exactly. That could be
0: slander liable. And uh, it just so happens that I know people who are expert witnesses uh, on many things over over the course of my lifetime. They seem to take a couple dollars to
1: do it. I guess it's one of those unspoken gimmicks. Hey, you should be compensated for your time. Um, I was impressed by the uh, nineteen eighty three part time writer income of thirty nine thousand six hundred dollars. That seems like uh, not too bad if that's a part time gig in nineteen eighty three. Especially with inflation, man. Because what's he writing in nineteen eighty three, Conan? Like how many books is he putting out at Marvel in nineteen eighty three? Yeah, is is that just Marvel or? Uh, oh, that, that might have been Marvel and DC combined.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that was the combined gimmicks. Uh, but still, man, I bet. <laughs> I bet like we say that number and it makes a couple couple job guys out there right now man their head exploded to touch marvel is the author you were hired of work for hire how's that feel chris couple of, couple of comments to that effect man dude let's get the hell out of here kayfabers like follow subscribe to the youtube channel hit the bell will notify you when new vids are available
1: what you have out there jim join me on patreon.com jimrug but more importantly tell your local comic shops to order hulk grand design that is the mission statement cartoonist kayfabe man marvel doesn't think that uh that, that we're worthy of their promotional machine behind hulk grand design and insults me let's show them what cartoonist kayfabe means tell those local comic shops to order hulk grand design for march and april 2022 i want it to be the most requested pre-ordered subscribed uh comic book in the history of comic shops so let them know hulk grand design
0: and don't listen to what jim shooter said this guy right here is the author of that book marvel is not the author of that shit (laughs) i seen this dude with his head down fucking grinding this stuff out and i didn't even see any marvel cats looking over your shoulder telling you anything man so they later for that shit (laughs) later for that shit man uh red room the anti-social network in stores now get the trade paper back so happy to see so many people get these books uh, for Christmas, you're a lot of sick bastards for putting that on your Santa Claus list and making your dear wives and partners go to comic shops, go to Amazon, and, and inflict such trauma upon them looking at that book. But let's do it again this year. 2022, Red Room trigger warnings. Uh, the next season of Red Room is going to be coming out starting in February. Same deal. Self-contained issues coming out on a monthly basis. Four issues in this in this next run. And uh, those comics are being serialized on my Patreon right at this moment. You can read them at this moment. Uh, Cool retail incentive variant covers. All the links to this stuff are in
1: uh, my link tree in the description below this video. What else do we have out there, Jimmy? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. Given those
0: merchant orders, Jimmy, we're going to be on our way.
1: Read more comics.
0: And stay out of the booby hatch. (laughs)